Welcome to Dune in 10, where we give you the synopsis of the Dune books in roughly 10 minutes. In this segment, we'll be covering Dune, The Machine Crusade, the second book in the Legends of Dune series. It's been 25 years since the birth of the Jihad. There have been many battles, some of which made strong impressions on the machine enemies, but there have also been many losses, and only a handful of definitive wins. We return to our characters worn and changed by over two decades of war. Xavier Harkonnen and Vorian Atreides are now some of the highest-ranking officers in the Jihad. Xavier is battle-born and by the books, while Vorian is footloose and quicker to follow more dangerous paths of action if need be. Serena Butler is now the League Viceroy, although she is known more for being the priestess of the Jihad. Having been thrust into depression and wanting to remain apart from politics, where she can focus on being the spiritual leader of the Jihad, Serena has spent most of her time in the city of introspection, making few public appearances. The Jihad is mostly led in her absence by the Grand Patriarch of the Jihad, Iblis Jingo, a former slave of the machines who escaped with Serena and Vorian at the start of the Jihad. Iblis keeps the war effort moving forward, albeit through sometimes questionable means. He plans assassination attempts on Serena to be thwarted only to keep her tucked away and docile, and using his jihad police, the Japol, to frame his political enemies as spies for Omnius. This war has gone on long, and the people grow tired of the endless fighting, thus Iblis sees his means justified, if they keep the jihad moving forward. Xavier and Vorian find Iblis's actions to be a bit shady, but being off in battle most of the time, they don't pretend to see the whole picture. It's in one such battle that Xavier's younger brother, now a jihadi member of notable rank, is captured by Vorian's father, the Cymec General Agamemnon. Virgil is tortured extensively before dying, but does not reveal any military secrets. Needless to say, Xavier is shaken by the act. Tired of a war that seems to be at a stalemate, Vorian explores new options such as implanting viruses and outright trickery to gain the upper hand over the machines. One such attempt is implanting a virus in the Omnius update he captured at the beginning of the Jihad. Vorian then recovers the ship he stole it from, having been just adrift in space. He replaces the update and reactivates the robot captain. Thinking it had been repaired by itself, the robot captain returns to his task in delivering the update to the Omnius world, unaware that after receiving the update, the machine's worlds were crumbling in chaos. Also looking for new and innovative ways to defeat the machines, Serena looks to the Kagators for assistance. The ancient mind of the Kagator Quenya tells Serena that she is tired of her words and thoughts being twisted by Iblis and used to send so many humans to their death. In an attempt to convince Serena that she must take back control from Iblis, Quenya shuts herself down rather than allow her influence to be twisted by Iblis any longer. Before death, though, she tells Serena about the Ivory Tower Cockatours, a group so bent on being left alone that they've remained hidden for centuries. Serena knows that she must seek out the help of these great minds. Years later, the Ivory Tower Cockatours return to humanity looking for volunteers to serve as their monks. Serena and Iblis implant volunteers to speak to the Cockatours on how they should act to help humanity and no longer remain neutral. As the war continues, Iblis pushes for the liberation of Ix, a machine planet rich in industry. The struggle to liberate the planet is long and requires the help of Ginaz mercenaries. One such mercenary by the name of Joel Noret is responsible for destroying the Omnius incarnation on Ix. Joel has trained extensively with a reprogrammed warrior robot on his home planet and goes on to become a well-known warrior. Many flock to watch him train, trying to absorb any insight from him that they might gain to become better warriors. Even with Ominous on this planet destroyed, victory seems unobtainable. 
During this battle, Iblis is captured by an unknown force, revealing itself to be Hikate, one of the original Cymec Titans who left the Empire before Omnius took control. Hikate vows to help humanity destroy Omnius, although she admits it's for reasons unknown and not just to help out. Iblis agrees to have her as his secret weapon because an alliance with the Cymec would never be widely accepted. Akati arrives at Ix just in time to help turn the tide of battle and secure a victory, all without revealing who she is. Vorian notices a pattern in Omnius's attack and pushes for the League to secure outlying planets. On one such planet, Caladan, Vorian falls in love with Laronica and fathers twin boys. Nearly ten years later, the Ivory Cower Cogators return to the League to reveal that they have secured a ceasefire with Omnius. If humanity agrees to stop the war, so will Omnius, and he will no longer seek out human worlds. In order for terms to be accepted, a representative of humanity must return to the main Omnius world and agree to the terms there. The general populace desires to end the Jihad, seeing this as an end to a war that would make all the years of fighting meaningless and leave entire worlds filled with human machine slaves. Serena and Iblis are in a panic to find a way to stop the ceasefire. Iblis convinces Serena to make a martyr of herself. She'll travel to Omnis under the guise of accepting his terms, and then goad him into killing her. It almost works, but Erasmus sees the ruse and stops Omnius from killing her. Iblis, determined not to let the plan fail, instructed the guards that accompanied Serena to kill her if Omnius did not. Serena accepts the death by her guards, knowing it will reignite the Jihad. Assured his plan would succeed, Iblis plants a fake recording of Omnius and Erasmus torturing and killing Serena. As expected, this facade truly does reignite the Jihad. Both Xavier and Vorian believe Iblis talked Serena into sacrificing herself and no longer trust him. Not wanting to let Iblis run free with his new complete control of the Jihad, Xavier accompanies him to Tulaxa. The mission of this journey is to bring them into the League and thank them for the cloned replacement body parts they provide for, for wounded Jihadi soldiers. While on Tulaxa, Xavier discovers the depth of Iblis's dishonorable actions. Iblis had given the Tulaxu the okay to attack small human League worlds and capture their populace while framing the machines. They then use these captured people as organ donors for the soldiers. Shocked by how treacherous Iblis had become, Xavier realizes he can't be allowed to continue. After hijacking control of their ship on the way home, Xavier flies them into a sun, removing Iblis from power. Before it's too late, though, he sends a single soldier to tell Vorian, and Vorian alone, of what he's done and why. And thus, we've reached the end of our main plot. There are also building stories within the machine worlds. Tired of being Omnius's lapdogs, the Cymex decide the time is now to fight back against Omnius, making the war now a two-front battle. Seeing the aftermath of Vorian's virus and the increased attacks by humans as an opportunity to take some ground, the Cymex quickly gain some planets under their rule. Needing an army, they work to brainwash the existing slaves of these planets into joining their cause and becoming an army of Neo-Cymex. Also during this time period, Erasmus has re-established himself on Corin. With Earth Omnius update never reaching any other planets, his secret of having started the rebellion of the humans remains unknown. However, once the updates with Vorian's virus hits Corin, Erasmus finds himself in a predicament. He must lead Corin back into control and restore Omnius's copy there, while deleting records of everything that happened on Earth. While doing this, he realizes he could be in control, and that he must learn to lie to keep his secret. A similar bet also takes place between the Omnius of Corin and Erasmus, one of which results in Erasmus taking in a young boy. 
Raising him as his own, Erasmus thinks of himself as the boy's father and works to make him think like a machine. On Arrakis, Salim Wormrider has gathered a group of rebels around him and continues to strike out against Nabe Dartha and his spice harvesters. Having had just enough of Salim and his rebels, Dartha hires a group of mercenaries to hunt them down. Anticipating the attack, Salim sends his people deeper into the desert and takes on Dartha and his men on his own. Seeking to become a martyr and a legend, Salim tricks the mercenaries and Dartha into coming into the open desert, where he calls a sandworm to swallow them all. The frightened mercenaries activate their personal shields, which drive sandworms into a frenzy, and four total worms come. There are no survivors. Back in the League, there is much happening on Puritan. Teo Holtzman has grown tired of Norma Senva not producing any new ideas, but wanting to keep her under his employ just in case she does, he allows her to work on her own projects in a separate facility. Norma is hard at work trying to discover how to fold space, allowing ships to travel great distances in the blink of an eye. Wanting the project to actually reach completion, she reaches out to her old friend, Aurelius Venport. Aurelius, wanting to support Norma and realizing that he is in love with her, negotiates for her release from contract with Teo Holtzman, and provides her with a ship and a facility to make her prototype with. Aurelius proposes to Norma, but must leave quickly thereafter on a business trip, leaving his partner Tuk Kidar to help oversee Norma's project. Curious as to what Norma is up to, Teo Holtzman obtains legal force to take her work and shut her down. Confiscating all of her work for himself, he has Norma deported from Puritan. On her long journey back to her home planet, Rossak, Norma's ship is captured by the titan Symek Xerxes. Tortured to extreme limits, Norma's mind is pushed like none other. With her already huge mental capacity, she attempts to focus and push away the pain. With a jolt, her latent Rossak telekinetic abilities are triggered and she explodes with energy, like a Rossak sorceress, and kills Xerxes and several neo Symeks. But Norma is different. She survives and rebuilds her body, a new beautiful body for Aurelius. She also sees how to complete her tasks and make space-folding ships work. Landing on the planet Kolar, Norma summons her mother, the great sorceress Zufa Senva, and Aurelius. There, she convinces them both to invest in a huge shipyard to build the ships. Later on, Serena convinces Aurelius to turn the ships and the shipyard to the war effort. On the way back from this meeting, Aurelius and Zufa's ship is attacked by Symex. The two are saved by a large ship and brought on board. The ship is piloted by Hecate, the Symex working for Iblis. Of course, Zufa and Aurelius don't know this, so when Hecate announces herself, Zufa releases her mental energy, frying the brains of all three of them. Akate's ship crashes into Ginaz, causing a massive tidal wave that kills many mercenaries at school there, including the hero Joel Noret. Also on Puritan, slaves Ishmael and Alid are reunited after decades apart, following the slave uprising. The old friends have developed differently. Ishmael has become a spiritual leader, while Alid has become a brash rebel. Learning of Alid's leadership of a new slave uprising, Ishmael must turn his back on him and strive to save his own group of people from the wrath of slavers when the rebellion takes off. Once the rebellion is underway, Ishmael kidnaps Tuk Kidar and makes him fly Norma's prototype ship. Tuk, only knowing one spatial location, jumps them to Arrakis, where the ship crashes into the deep desert. After surviving for five months and losing nearly half of his people to the harsh climate, Ishmael's tribe is discovered by Selim's rebels. They are welcomed into the rebel group, and over time, Ishmael earns his place as a new leader in the rebels. They shall be the free men of the desert. Back on Puritan, Alid's rebellion is moving strongly. Having found an old laser gun, he attacks Teo Holtzman. But Teo Holtzman is wearing a personal shield. Lasers and shield create a nuclear-like reaction, and upon firing Teo, most of the city is wiped out. 
The remaining slaves on the planet are eliminated after this act, as retribution for the destruction of the city. And that brings us to a close for Dune, The Machine Crusade. Make sure to check out our main episode for The Machine Crusade, where we discuss many thoughts on the book, as well as your comments. Remember, you can send us your comments via email at dunesagapodcast at gmail.com, leave them on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, or by calling them into our voicemail at 188-508-4343. So once again, for the Dune Saga Podcast, I'm David Moulton, and may Shai Halud clear the path before you.